Welcome back to the Renaissance and Dante's Divine Comedy Podcast. Hope you're having a great day and thank you so much for tuning in. We are going to look at two chapters in the Purgatory by Dante now uh, and look at the history behind them because you have number six and number seven in the Antipurgatory, which are often seen as a little bit slow in terms of the narrative of moving towards kind of the real gate of the Purgatory, but they're so full of interesting history. So if we stop and just dig a little bit into what Dante is referring to in his contemporary times. It's kind of a whole era of history that becomes kind of emerges as very vivid and, and uh, contemporary for Dante. So he meets the poet, the Provencal poet, Sordello. He is Italian from Mantova, but then he moves to Provence and then he writes in Provencal. And his most famous poem is called Blacats. And this is then reflected again in chapter 7 in Dante's Purgatory, where he comes to the Valley of the Princes, which has very much the same kind of theme. So we're just going to look at both Sordello's original poem and then how Dante is reflecting and adjusting and kind of re, uh, remaking the some of the substance in his description of the Valley of the Princes, which is described through the voice of Sordello in chapter 7. So the poem by Sordello is then called I want to mourn for Lord Blacats with this light-hearted sound. In the original Provençal, it's Planer voile et Blacats et à quoi le gère so, which is something like Piangere voglio per Blacats in questo leggero suono in Italian. So this is then written to Blacats who was a ruler, a lord of the Alps in Provence. So he writes here, I want to mourn for Lord Blacats with this light-hearted sound, with a heart that sad and sore beset, for there are reasons for it. In him I lost a good, true friend and a worthy lord, and all the manly virtues are gone with him. Ah, the loss is deadly, for I think I'll never see a return of any goodness unless it comes just so. Let everyone split up his heart. Yes, let those barons eat, for they're all heartless men who could stand a cordial treat. So this is the opening stanza, which is then that it's tribute to Lord Blacats and then a suggestion that you could take his heart and split it into eight bits and then feed it to other contemporary rulers who, in Sordello's view, are uh, not good rulers or also then heartless men. So then we get this catalog of eight rulers. And he continues. Ah, number one comes the emperor of Rome, a man who needs some hearty food if he wants to overtake those Milanese by force, for they think he's a loss He's got no inheritance, even with his friendly Germans. And after him, let the king of France step up to the banquet, for he wants to win back Castile that he lost through foolishness. But let him think of his mother. She won't touch a piece. No, she's too dignified to do anything that distasteful. So that is first two, and then we're going to get two more. I like that English king, 
for he's a man of little heart. And if he'll just sample some, he'll be valiant and good. And he'll win back the land snatched by the king of France, who knows he's a good for nothing and leaves him in disgrace. And that Castilian king, I think he should eat for two. For he holds two domains and is not good enough for one. But if he wants a nibble, he should eat secretly. For if his mama catches him, she'll flail him with her rod. And the king of Aragon should have a taste, I do believe, for it will help to purge him of the shame that he gets over here from Marseille and from Milan, for he gets not a jot of honor for anything done or said. And next I want the Navarese king to step up to the feast, for he was a worthy count before he was crowned, I hear. It's terrible when the divine helps a man to mount in wealth and then weakness of heart makes him tumble in price. And then you have two more. The Count of Toulouse needs a good big bite of heart if he thinks of what he had and what he has now. For if this new infusion doesn't help him recoup his losses, it's lost for good with that old heart in his breast. And the Count of Provence should eat if he'll recall how a man who's disinherited isn't worth a damn, and although he fights and defends himself with guts, he still should dine on this heart for the burdens he bears. So those are the eight rulers, barons, counts that Sordello is now attacking, and he, he wraps it up with four verse lines here. The barons will curse me for the evil I've said here but they know I think they're as low as they think me. Beautiful restorer, in you alone I find my grace and I scorn every man who won't hold me as his friend. So this is the poem Blacats by Sordello, who Dante and Virgil again meet in chapter 6 of the Purgatory. And he's then also then a contemporary of Dante. And then we'll see how this is reformulated in the next chapter through again the voice of Sordello when they when they enter into the valley of the princes or they get up this this little uh, this little height and then they look down on the valley and on the souls there and they are then again there because they were too busy during their earthly life with with ruling and being being the rulers and uh, and emperors and kings to pay attention to the spiritual life and therefore they need to spend some time in waiting before they can start the real climb of purgatory and then kind of the changing of mind, changing of soul and uh, purification before they can finally ascend up into the heavens. So what Dante is doing, he keeps the structure of pairs and, and pointing out eight rulers plus one, which we will see. So in Sodelo's voice, he says, the one who sits the highest and looks as if he left undone what was to do and does not join the others in their song was Rudolf, emperor, who could have cured the wounds that were the death of Italy. It will be long before she lives again. So Dante starts out with two rulers from Germany or kind of the Holy Roman Empire, which is in, in some sense kind of Germany and Today's Germany and 30, 50% larger. Depends a little bit on the time. 
And those two are then Emperor Rudolf I and then Ottokar II. The one who seems to comfort him once ruled of that land whose waters flow into the Moldau and to the Elbe to the sea. Ottokar, more respected as a baby than Wenceslaus, his bearded son is now, feasting on lechery and idleness. So those are the two from, from Germany or the Holy Roman Empire and they are friends here like the one is comforting the other while they were really strong enemies in real life and it's one of those points that Dante is making that uh, once you get into the spiritual realm then those conflicts on the earthly level could be left behind and then they will support each other in the spiritual progress and move towards the purgatory so then after that we get two rulers from France King Philip III and Henry the Fat. The snub-nosed figure in close conference with a kind-looking person at his side, dishonoring the lily, died in flight. Look at him there. See how he beats his breast. Look at the other soul, cradling his cheek within his palm, sighing. Father-in-law and father of the plague of France they are. They know about his dissolute, foul life, and that is why they feel such piercing grief. So they're referring now to the son of King Philip III, which is Philip IV, the fair, who Dante here describes as the plague of France. And this is an, the second time we get this idea or the, the theme of that the virtue of the good rulers doesn't necessarily go down to their offspring or kind of up to their branches and that you, is connected to a theme of Dante that the virtue of a person comes directly from the divine and not from your heritage or your lineage. So those are the two from France, King Philip III and Henry the Fat and then we get two from Sicily, the kingdom of Sicily, King Peter III of Aragon and Charles I of Anjou. That sturdy-looking soul seated beside the big-nosed one, singing in tune with him, was girded with a cord of every good. So again, they were enemies in the earthly life, and now they are singing together. If only that young man behind him there had lived to rule a longer time, indeed, true merit would have flowed from cup to cup, as did not happen with the other heirs. Now James and Frederick possess his realms, but neither got the better heritage. So this refers to that King Peter's uh, first son lived only for a short time. He only ruled for six years. Had he been uh, a ruler for a longer time, there would be a better situation and then you would actually have virtue coming from the father, King Peter III, to his son, Alfonso III. And then you have Dante's point here. He says, Not often does the sap of virtue rise to all the branches. This is his own gift, and we can only beg that he bestow it. So this is the gift from the divine, and it's bestowed by the divine, and it does not rise necessarily to the branches of one person who is already then virtuous. My words apply to him with a big nose as well as Peter there, who sings with him on whose account Provence and Puglia grieve. As much as this seed's plant is less than he, just so much more than Margaret and Beatrix can constant boast her husband's excellence. 
So that was the two Sicilian rulers, King Peter III and Charles I. And then lastly, we have two more, and they are King Henry III of England and Marquis William VIII of Montferrat, which is Piemonte. And see Henry of England sitting there, all by himself, king of the simple life, whose branches bear him better fruit by far. The one who sits below them on the ground and who looks up at them is Marquis William, whose war with Alessandria has made all Montferrat and Canavese weep. And that's the end of the description in Dante's Purgatory and paraphrasing of Sordello's poem Placats through the voice of, of Sordello as a character in Dante's poem. So uh, just a few thoughts on, on the contrast. So the poem from Sordello is more descriptive. In some sense, it's about the loss of Lord Bacatz. They should take his heart, cut it into eight pieces and feed it to the rulers that are not the good rulers of the day. And then an ending of saying that even if they will think low of him, Sordello, as a poet, he will think as lowly of them. And then he has this last uh, kind of invocation of the divine again. So what Dante is doing is uh, a different kind of context where he makes the points about virtue, where the virtue comes from. It's very often not being uh, inherited from the great rulers to their offspring. And also how the spiritual friendship in the afterlife is different from the the that they're being enemies in the earthly life and that they're now in purgatory and this kind of plays into Dante's description, like increasing gradual description of the nature of the spiritual in purgatory and then in like full bloom in the paradise. So that's all we wanted to say in this one. As a little introduction to chapters six and seven in the purgatory, they are often again seen as a little bit slow in terms of the narrative and the progress but that is for two reasons. One is that it's supposed to show that things are not moving because we are in the waiting part, the antepurgatory of the of the book, and also because Dante gives a full gives the scene to the historical context of Sordello and also this whole backdrop of the invective against Italy that goes even further back in chapter six. So hope some of this was uh, interesting. Some um, some inspiration, some food for thought, or just some background knowledge about this part of the purgatory and Dante's comedy. And hope you're still having a great day. And thank you so much for listening, as always. And uh, see you again in another episode. Bye-bye.